Thank you. Thank you, James, and, and thank you, David. Um, as James mentioned, um, I work with Innovation Media Consultancy. We are a, a journalism consultancy. We've been working for many, many years um, all over the world helping companies make the transition to digital, uh, but always with the slogan that good journalism is good business. And um, this is reflected in this book, which we've published uh, every year. This one for the last 16 years, and this one for the last six years. This is on behalf of the World Association of Newspapers, WANIFRA, and this is on behalf of FIP, which is the magazine association uh, based here in London. WANIFRA is based in Paris. And um, I'm going to take you through the key findings of, of, of these books this year. I brought eight copies for the, uh, for the journalist fellows primarily, but I'm, I'll be happy to send you a PDF after this, if you want to read them, even the back issues. Uh, if not, you might have to pay £100 for the book, which is a bit steep. Um, but what's fascinating about this exercise of being the co-editor of this book for all these years is that for many, many years, in these books, we wrote about uh, predictions and prognostications. Because really, it's what we all were trying to get our head around and trying to figure out what was next, what was going to work, what was not going to work. The three categories under which we reviewed and selected, collated, and edited innovation was based on reach, relevance, and revenue. But this past year, 2014, the 2015 books will be out uh, in a few months, um, the key insight is that for the first time, we have a prescription and not a pronostication. And uh, in a way, this is the summary of my talk, that uh, the five keys to a prescribed way forward, something that we've seen over and over again throughout the world of news companies, magazine, news-related enterprises, and they're all embracing these five key things. And they're very specific, some of them are business-related, but they all have a journalism relevance that is phenomenal. And we are very, very convinced that for the first time, this is a prescription, a way forward. Unsurprisingly, the first one of all this is that mobile will be the dominant platform for our business. Video will be the dominant mode. And this is a very important thing that I think very few of us in the journalism craft realize that the web is becoming a visual medium. It was born as a textual video, a textual platform, as a way we told stories in linear ways. It's really, really becoming a visual medium, which means that for journalists, uh, editing, writing, reporting, the skills of telling stories visually uh, are tremendously important. Native advertising will be the dominant vehicle. And again, you will see, and we talk about the dangers that this presents uh, to our craft Sorry, to our just explain native advertising. Native advertising uh, is branded content. Uh, there are different terms for it. In America, it's called branded. Uh, here, it's called native. And this is basically um, companies pretending to do journalism, writing stories. Uh, Exxon doing a special about um, how beautiful the Arctic is, <laughs> when at the same time they're lobbying to drill. So trying to give the perception that they care, sometimes they do, uh, but that they have a vested interest. And that's creeping and cropping up everywhere. And there's big amounts of money here. And everybody is getting into this game. And you have to get it right, and you can destroy the business. Programmatic will be the dominant method. I will explain what this is. But this is a very, very important thing for you to get your head around it. It's a bit of a business thing, but uh, it's an innovation that now it's taken off 
and it's uh, a method of selling advertising uh, um, uh, space on websites, etc. And big data will be the dominant factor when making decisions. Very much making journalistic decisions as well. In the book we talk about the Financial Times and they have a machine you should go and visit called uh, Bertie. Have you seen Bertie? Has anyone been to the Financial Times? Betsy. 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 Did I say Bertie? Sorry. I was, thinking, I was thinking of a card, but recently called Bertie. So Betsy uh, tells you everything you want to know and, and very much influences editorial decisions. It's big data summarized to small ideas and small um, decisions that they make every day when they consult with, uh, with Betsy. So in a way, if you don't have any more time, this is our prescription for the way forward. In the book, we go into a lot of detail about this. And um, it is the mobile moment. Yes? And I know you've all been overwhelmed with, uh, with, with how much this is the case. But I, I travel the world, and I meet with clients, and this is my reality every day. People still not really understanding how fundamental the business has changed. And how we must really totally embrace these new platforms and tell stories because it's going to be not just our bread and butter, but what is going to sustain our business and our engagement with readers. Yes. And why it's happening? Well, it's happening you know, because of the new generation of consumers that is coming up. Not just coming up, they're already here in this room. This is not just millennials, but this is the, the, the existential pyramid of a millennial or uh, you know, uh, pretty much a lot of us here. Yes. Uh, physiological needs is what matters the most, having food, water, shelter, <laughs> safety, not getting killed. Uh, belonging, love, okay, some people can do without it, perhaps not for so long. Self-esteem, self-actualization, that is the existential pyramid, but I, I have modified it to point out that <laughs> battery life. And I know it's bit of a joke, but it, it's so, so important to, to, to how our business has changed. And I think another big message is this is a seventh medium. This is not just a, a platform that people consume all the time and therefore we must be there. No, no, no. It is a medium with all the implications of what that means. You probably wonder what are the medium, the media that well, started with print, books before that, radio, cellular phone, of course, TV, web, gaming. Gaming is a medium where people are telling stories and engaging. And, so on. and mobile requires a complete and total rethink of it all. So in the book, we, uh, we go into detail about how big this is and how, how big it's going to become. Of course, this is data for 13, 1 million smartphones. By 2017, 82% of mobile sales will be smartphones. So the experience, the rich media experience you can get in the UK, you will be getting um, all over the world. And we're seeing this, you know, be now done, even this prediction. Uh, recently, we started a project in Nigeria, and the data increased significantly. Tablets, phablets. Again, the data is phenomenally there. And a lot of people say, oh, yeah, but remember, you know, it's the same discussion we had when, when mobiles start, uh, started, uh, when, when PCs started to come out. Do you really think that people who have more than one PC, every home, it'll just be like one television? And all these predictions have been outdone because of the laws of, of technology and the pricing that drives mass consumption of these devices. Yes? 
And you've already seen it in the UK with uh, the Je suis Charlie instance, uh, the traffic was through mobile overtook uh, the, the PC-based traffic when it comes to the story. In America, it's already happening even with, with, with consumer magazines. I think it's important to see that. It's not just news phenomenon, but it's people consuming uh, more passive content, whether it's uh, things to do with decoration or things to do with, with, with other uh, forms of storytelling that is not hot news. Uh, mobile consumption is overtaking PC. And the revenues are there, the money is there as well. And the prediction by 2020, 20, 27 billion will be going into um, advertisement for mobile and tablet-based devices, yes? And also what we're seeing, perhaps, in terms of the innovation and the implications is that uh, the lingua franca for all this seems to be HTML5. Uh, for a lot of companies, the reaction has been, let's do a standalone app. But for news consumption traffic, a lot of people are consuming it through web-based apps. So if you understand, the, the Financial Times has HTML5-based apps, so they're untethered apps. And um, you don't have to share your revenue with anybody, with Apple or with, with, with anybody else who's putting it up for sale. So they're, they're open platforms. And, um, and, and for news, really, HTML5, which is also responsive design, it can live on many different platforms seems to be uh, the way forward. A lot of people have both, but a lot of people have seen that their investment in a standalone app has not paid back because the traffic is still coming from people looking at the BBC website on mobile as opposed to the app for the BBC. And video advertising as a result of mobile is already uh, there. Uh, the easiest way to grow digital revenue is, is video. And the easiest way to grow new traffic, uh, news traffic or, or story traffic uh, and circulation is, is, is through video as well. Yes. More figures in terms of how much this is, is I mean, in the New York Times, we, we talk about it, the New York Times, uh, they said they, they don't have enough stock. They have too much advertising demand for pre-roll ads placed on their mobile devices, whether it be tablets or or their, their, their mobile um, site. So the, the demand for this kind of content is, is phenomenal. Yes? And I think it's important to also look at how this is transforming storytelling. And I'm sure you all heard of, of quotes, but we spent a lot of time with them. And this is the first mobile news outlet in the world. Mobile-centric, mobile-based, that has been born of a desire and objective to completely embrace and make mobile first. This is the first mobile first um, outlet out there. And it's fascinating when you, when you get inside and uh, under the bonnet and you look and the organizing principles are not just traditional categories, they're not traditional um, uh, sections as we have them, world, uh, uh, you know, um, uh, national news, politics, uh, sport, uh, whatever. It's obsessions. And they change with the times, they're topic-driven sometimes, and completely mixed. And what they realize is that people, when they consume content on mobile, they, they, they pick something up in a conversation. Uh, they don't have a habit of looking for something. They, it's their immediate resource when somebody tells them something or they hear something for the first time. They call these things obsessions or daily themes as well. Is mobile focus digital only? and very much aimed at a specific public, yes? And for them, they say very clearly, 
Print was never an option. Digital trumps print, and pure digital without any legacy massively, <coughs> massively trumps print. Legacy costs. Uh, to, to, to be an economist that's still printing uh, a, a magazine and trying to make the transition to digital, you still have the cost of producing and printing and distributing a title. So they don't have that to begin with. And they obviously they, 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 they claim that they are the replacement of the economist. You know. Having said that, uh, there are reports that they're planning to do a monthly magazine at some point. <laughs> uh, you can all consume it um, you know, after today. It's, just, it's quite an interesting experience. And design begins with the tablet, then the smartphone, using responsive design, HTML5 completely, yes. And also, they, 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 they break that dis description mold. Uh, the writers turn complete packages. It's not, it's not a writer who does something. It's not, it's not the, 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 the chain production. Uh, they have to do the entire package. And for a long time, we feared that if they did this, they would get something wrong along the way, but not so for them. Photos, captions, headlines, hubheads, even infographics, they have to perhaps not do them themselves, but commission them, conceptualize them in the daily workflow, yes? Chart builder is something they use for quick charts, but uh, the more complicated graphics, they have to write them out and explain them as they want them, yes? An email is a primary vehicle, email. <laughs> It's fascinating, they're going back in time to email, to you getting an email in the morning, and, and you should get it. Um, subscribe to it for a little while. The experiment is beautifully written, it's clever, it's fast, it has in mind your morning routine, and um, it's totally surprising. Every day has no, no method, no, no order. Sometimes it begins with an anecdote, sometimes it begins with a joke, sometimes it begins with a phenomenal fact that, that arrests, gets your attention and, and makes you read. Yeah? 80 to 90 percent of the traffic is earned through social media. So a lot of the traffic is people then reading in the morning their <coughs> daily mails, their daily alerts and sharing them. Anyway, I have a lot to get through, so I'll try to um, not dwell on too much of the facts and figures that are in there, so I can move along to some of the other things. Um, but I think this is interesting, uh, interesting in terms of the revenue model. Yeah? They have no banners, no paywalls, only native advertising. These are some of the results. They've already attracted 20 premium advertisers. And I have to say, I consume this every day. I have read the first paragraph of a lot of their native advertising. I just read it. I've never ever, I, I, you know, I see it a mile away. And yet with these people, the inventory is sold out because they're very, very strict about where you place it in the morning emails. Inventory is how much space you have to sell. So you have a format in within above the fold, below the fold. So you have, I have a slot here, a slot in the middle. That's your inventory, and the CPMs is a cost per thousand. This is how, it, it, you know, your your advertising is placed. So cost per thousand is what it costs, what I charge you for a thousand eyeballs, who are clicking, or reading through it. Yes, and. Uh, it is a sign of good health if you have double-digit CPMs. So at least ten dollars is a standard. Um, uh, then you're doing fairly well. These people, their CPMs are 10 times higher than, than the banner ads that have been sold traditionally. Yes. And the break-even has is, is been ahead of schedule, or so they say. This is uh, not publicly known, so, but that's where they hint at. Yeah. Right, um, native advertising. Let me quickly go through this because I said this is really, really going to sustain our business. And uh, it, it's, uh, it's a nasty one. <laughs> if you get wrong, yes? And I cannot emphasize this enough, and I'm sure you've heard the case of the Atlantic, 
They did a, a native advertising piece on the Christians, uh, Scientology, the Christian Science Church in America, and it blew up in their faces. It was a terrible exercise because it was presented as content and it was just a, a, a soft piece saying that Scientology is nothing wrong with it and this and that. And then they finally had to admit that it was not proper journalism, it was just a, 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 a puff piece. Um, and it, and it completely made them rethink. Of course, the Scientology Church paid a lot of money to have that content presented as almost news. But 75% of publishers are using it. They're accepting it. But all the big titles are doing it. The New York Times accepts it and so on. And compared to banner ads uh, and pre-roll native advertising, works everywhere, doesn't interrupt, adds value for the reader and commands high CPMs. It adds value in the sense that it's contextual to what you're reading. So if you're reading something about the Arctic that interests you because there's a story about it, uh, this also piques your interest because it's Arctic related. And then it's only at the bottom you realize that Exxon has written this. So it's, uh, so I quickly, uh, but, but it often, it often crosses the church state line. And this is something that, uh, that, that a lot of publishers have been challenging recently, especially in America. Uh, the founder of Gorka has been challenging this, saying, why do we still have to? This is part of the legacy. This is the old journalism world. Why can we, you know, and uh, so if not done well, it can really be very, very dangerous for brands, yes? They outperform banner ads. These are the reasons why, but I don't want to go into them. And there's a lot of money in this, a lot of money, especially big corporate clients. They like to do this. They... They have come to the conclusion that banner ads don't work. When is the last time any of you clicked on a banner ad? <laughs> um, so they suck. <laughs> so uh, they've come to that conclusion and this sort of way to infiltrate copy and stories uh, is something very attractive to them and they're putting a lot of money into it. So we, we try to break down and do some tips as to how to do this properly based on best practice. Yeah. We've talked to all the main people who are pioneering this and doing this. And this is some of the common advice that they shared with us. Um, again, you can go into detail in the book, but uh, some things are obvious. Some things are, even though they're obvious, they're very difficult to implement. Yes? Which leads me to exactly how, how to do this in the newsroom, because this picture is intentional. I mean, look at it. This is exactly what's going on. In your newsroom, now you have these brands that want to get into your PC and publish alongside. So unless you have a model, a system, a method, it's very, very dangerous, yes? So how do you build a native advertising team? A, a team that really will not damage your brand reputation and also bring you the revenue that it's there, yes? How do you do this properly, yes? So we've talked to the New York Times, we've talked to the Washington Post, and, and, and there are two ways that, 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 there are two schools of thought, yeah? One is to turn the keys over to the advertiser. And that's what Forbes has done. And Forbes has been uh, preaching this uh, to left and right, north and south, say, saying that this is the way to do it and is, uh, in our opinion, very, very dangerous. And they, they say we're, we're now just a, a, a publishing platform and anybody can come and play. So if you're a blogger of repute, you can write in Forbes and challenge and then it turns out that that guy is actually uh, paid to write that copy by Samsung or whoever, yes? So um, that's one school of thought, to turn the keys over to the advertiser. They also turn over the CRM, meaning the, your, 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 your customer 
management where you can see the traffic, you can see Google Analytics, and then the advertiser can place uh, the copy where it's the biggest audience that is related to the subject that they want to attract. So, um, and the other thing is build a team of high quality journalists that do this separately and control it. And this is the way the New York Times has decided to do it in some other ones, yes. The first system, Forbes, the Atlantic Monthly, and the Washington Post, the Washington Post, unsurprisingly, they're using the, 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 uh, the relational uh, algorithm of Amazon Books, <laughs> uh, which is at the end, you're searching for something and it suggests what else you might be interested in and so on. So they're doing this very successfully with, with native advertising, but they pretty much turn the keys over to advertisers saying, this is our site, this is the traffic, this is your copy, you can place it anywhere you want. And the second system is the BuzzFeed, the Gorka, the New York Times, which we think is more, it's a, it's a better system, a better way of doing it. So we go into, we, we go into, in, into the, the methods, comparing all of them. And I think it's a very interesting exercise that we've done, and I think it's the first time you see clear rules of something that really can easily go wrong and affect your brand, yes? And um, having the post, a lot of people, they have now directors of native advertising, and they say very clearly, if you give them access to your CMS, it's a slippery slope. So what they do is they take the API, sorry, I'm using all this jargon, but, but the API is, 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 is like a fee. Think of it as a, a plug. So I have Coca-Cola spitting out stories every day about this and that. So you take their plug, you plug it into your system, and they, have, they can place it anywhere within your websites, your mobile, as they want. Uh, this is one of the practices done uh, to just hand it over to your CMS, yeah, content management system. And, and but that is um, it's a very expensive way of do. Uh, they charge a lot to Coca-Cola. Uh, uh, this is done a lot with Red Bull, for instance. All the wonderful stories of Red Bull are placed in the sports pages at the moment of the Sun and other um, sports titles, leading sports titles, um, uh, digitally. Yes. So you have to build internal teams to do this. Yes. Um, I want to quickly move on to programmatic advertising. This is really, uh, to you, perhaps not that interesting, but uh, I want to quickly say one or two things about this. Uh, this really is um, the, uh, it's, a, it's, it's again, the invasion of the drones to the way of buying and selling advertising. But the implications is that this is one of the biggest sources of revenue at the moment. And programmatic advertising, it's, it's growing phenomenally. It's coming to Europe. Um, the, the machines are here to already do this. It takes out the human being out of buying and selling um, uh, content and uh, advertising space. And, um, and it's one of the least understood terms that I think even journalists have to understand. Yeah, but it is, this is the definition according to Wikipedia. And uh, it is cut and paste. And as you can see, they, have, they haven't even put any dots and commas. So I'll try to. <laughs> but it's the data-driven process of buying digital ad space at scale across multiple platforms to reach highly targeted readers from very specific demographics with very specific online behaviors that indicate an individual is most likely to purchase the product being advertised. So essentially, you put um, a, a little crawling robot that watches what you're searching for, what you're reading, what you're spending time on, on which pages, hands that over to advertisers who then can buy your eyeballs and your attention, yes? Um, RTB is another term used for um, programmatic advertising. Um, Real-time bidding is the term. And I think it's important for you to understand that this is going to be one of the biggest pillars of our industry that will sustain and, and pay the paychecks of a lot of journalists because it is very much transforming um, 
the revenue model of a lot of um, news organizations. Yeah. I'll, I'll go quickly through this, um, but another great insight we've picked up is that 22 years into the full-on digital age, we're going back to atoms, yeah? from digits to atoms. Human beings want to meet, human beings want to touch, uh, we are tactile beings, we like the physicality of being together, and this is becoming a huge source of revenue for newspapers and magazines who have the best power to convene. A magazine has a power to bring people together and to do events. So events are here to stay, they're growing, and they have massive implications for us as journalists because we have to be able to also stand in front of a crowd do conferences, do interviews on stage. Uh, it is expected of journalists, is expected of editors. We've seen the case, and we talk about it in the book, where the decision to hire the editor-in-chief was based entirely on the fact that they were telegenic and good on stage, because it's becoming a bigger source of revenue for them than circulation. Which, sorry, which yeah? examples is that? Uh, it's here in the book. It's um, Wired magazine. So this is openly, they said, unless the person, you know, uh, uh, which are traditional print journalists, why, why do I have, and, and that is a dis deciding factor, yeah? And people want to meet. In TED is no accident that it's happened now and continues to grow. In the digital age, we want to get out of, of this and, and meet, yeah? And video. Video, I talked about the fact that the web is becoming a visual medium, yes? And, and just, uh, I think it's really interesting, this says so much, yeah? Uh, the Chinese games, how many people watch the games? 10 million were watching in live streaming, live streaming on the web. London, how many people in the world watch the stream of the London 2012 Summer Olympics? Anybody? It's billion, isn't it? One billion, yes. <laughs> And again, the implications for us are phenomenal. Everybody's demanding uh, video, but video not told in the traditional way. It's not about copying the BBC News model or the ITV News model. We're seeing the emergence of new genres, of new narratives, the Vice News, uh, the BuzzFeed formulas, uh, the stacticals, and so on and so on. Yes? But uh, the traffic is there and it continues to grow and the expectation is there. So we look at Vice News, uh, which I strongly urge all of you to do it. And, and the interesting insight from this is that there isn't a, the, the production costs we all think associated with video are not that high. The Atlantic, they just have four FT employees and they're one of the biggest sources of traffic now is video. And Vice News is largely a network of freelancers submitting uh, pieces on speculation. Very little oversight as to who these people are. When you, we really ask them, how, how well do you know your, your contributors? Well, we know he's American and he's in Libya and he was available. And, uh, but, but they're very eyewitness kind of reports. It's very difficult for you to question what he's doing because it's there. Yeah. So let me quickly wrap up with with, with two insights into this because we could go into a lot of detail. And of course, these are 14 cases in the magazine book, in the, in the, in the newspaper book, we have another 10 case studies, yes? But, but really, all this has prompted a reflection as to what, what does it take to really embrace a lot of these things? Because they keep changing, the goalposts keep changing every month. And yet, we've already seen a, a very clear way forward on which to build the models and on which to adapt your craft as a journalist. Yeah? But what does it take to really, truly innovate uh, within a news operation? Well, I like bicycles. This is my penny farthing, which I, I've, I've ridden here in Oxford uh, regularly. <laughs> it's not a proper penny farthing. But I had a great opportunity to, to spend the summer biking around um, Silicon Valley yes, in San Francisco. So I spent uh, a few months, um, and I had phenomenal access to everybody, Google, Twitter, Facebook, uh, Pixar. 
And um, so I got a Google bike. That's a Google bike. And, um, and I went around Google and spent a lot of time talking to people and trying to understand exactly how we in the news industry can learn from, from Google, from, from, from these people who are obviously innovating on a constant basis and for whom innovation is their daily mantra, yes? It's a terrible bike, by the way. And, uh, but, but it's full of surprises, Google. I mean, I'm sorry to show this, but these are the men's. Mm. And, uh, uh, and you get HTML coding tips while you're at it. Yeah. <laughs> so you're, you're, and, and also, I've been told the ladies' room has one uh, as well. Uh, yeah, so, uh, and yet, very interesting, um, the humility of Google. Yeah? They told me on the record, we're very vulnerable. We miss social and mobile. That's an amazing thing I, I picked up. Uh, you, you think these people are bombastic and full of themselves. Really, they're very humble uh, at the moment. Uh, they realize uh, the enormity of what they've created, the responsibility, and a lot of them are, operate with, with a humble approach to how important it is for them to change constantly, yes? And Larry Page said to us, most companies fail because they miss the future, yes? I also biked around San Francisco. I stayed at the Fairmont Hotel. This is a concierge. He has Google glasses. <laughs> 67 years old. Good morning. And then he, he stared at me and he said, you're Mr. Juan Senor. I was like, how on earth? And he took a picture of me. And because of pictures of me online, he can match the pixelation. He asked for permission first. And then he knew all about me. And he was reading it here. And he told me, yes, I do get headaches. But, um, <laughs> uh, and as you know, Google Glass has been discontinued now yeah. because of that. Also, it, it created ocular, uh, you know, whatever. Um, distortion. distortion. And then I, this is Jack Dorsey's bicycle. He's the founder of Twitter. Lovely bike. And I got to bike around him, uh, with him around uh, San Francisco. It was lovely, lovely chats we had. We had two of them. And uh, this is their headquarters. And then I went to Mata. Mata is a, is a startup um, garage. It's literally a garage in San Francisco. It's all full of bikes. And it's uh, converted for startups. And a lot of people working in new startups. Uh, if you have a chance, go to Mata. It's open door, talk to anybody. But I picked something up that I, 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 I've heard often and I'm finding quite disturbing. And it's this sort of concept of failure. Yeah? And everywhere you go, it's fail, fail forward. Uh, everywhere on, on, on the walls, experiment, fail, learn, repeat. And one of the insights from my visit to, to San Francisco and to Silicon Valley is that, look, fa failure is overrated. <laughs> and I think the news industry should not approach the way we're doing things the way they're doing it. And I think that's a false premise that we have to become technology companies or we have to emulate their ways. We have to embrace their platforms and so on. And this was also uh, confirmed for me when I went to the crossroads of Hackaway and Willow Road. This is Facebook. <laughs> it's number one Hackaway. Yes? This is the headquarters of Facebook, where I also got a bike. Yeah. And they were confused. Facebook wants to be Twitter. They want to be Twitter. Oh, we should. And Twitter wanted to be Facebook. Still wants to be Facebook. Yeah. And then you end up with Yahoo. Yeah? Yahoo is just lost in space somewhere. They don't know where they're going. They don't know what's going on. They just have all these billions of dollars they don't know what to spend with. But most interesting, I went to Pixar, and I spent a lot of time at Pixar. And um, this is the headquarters of Pixar. 
But uh, this, is the, this is the building which is designed by Steve Jobs. And it's very interesting. He designed the business, uh, the building. Um, you'll see the Toy Story toys here. But he designed it with um, emulating the brain and the fictitious idea that the right side of the brain is creative and the left side of the brain is logical. So all the creatives sit here and all the, uh, and, and all the, uh, all the logical, all the administrators sit on the left. He really did this. And then he, he only put one bathroom, one toilet. Yeah, and the toilet is here, which forces everybody to come down to this atrium to go to the toilet. And next to the toilet, there are you know, the basics, uh, food and drink. Yeah? And they all have to come together. Yes? But very interesting, while there, I, I, I picked this up from William Gibson. They have it on the wall. The future is here, just not widely available. And I also picked up, especially from Pixar, especially from Pixar, who are very, very strict about this, that innovation is not imitation. Yes? It's very, very difficult to see a movie other than sequels that is similar to the one before. But the big conclusion for this visit was that the platform is not the message. And you, many, many of you have heard me say this over the years, and it was confirmed in this visit, we are the wine, we are not the bottle. We're not in the bottling business of technology. Yeah? It's the wine that matters, not the bottle. And if you're not careful, you're going to end up with a really cheap wine or sustain your value and make good quality wine. And I think the insight from all this is that the story is a story, no matter what, no matter the platform. At the moment, it's mobile. It's the seventh medium that we need to engage with and figure out how to tell stories and how to build an editorial um, team around it. But a story still has to be compelling, engaging, evocative, entertaining, and memorable. And, and a lot of us think that our future is going to be how much retweets, how many followers, how, many, how much engagement we get on social platforms. And, and they said it to, to, to me often. They say, why are journalists not experimenting more with the wonderful platforms we're building for them? You know, it is back to basics, really. Uh, what made us great is what will make us great in the future. And also, innovation does not happen in a vacuum, yes? Uh, as you know, there's the, uh, 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 Clay Christensen's theory of innovation, uh, the famous book, The Innovator's Dilemma, where he talks about incremental and radical, how companies can do incremental innovations or radical innovations. Uh, and yet, uh, my conclusion was that we need to go, we should have been doing incremental and radical. We need to really move on to transformative, transformative innovation. And if you want to see what that means in reality, let me quickly end with a case study and you will visually see what this is. This is a, a big project we've done this year. It was just completed in October. Um, and this is uh, in Costa Rica, Grupo Nación. And this is a phenomenal process of innovation, complete transformation of everything, yes? Uh, essentially, we integrated, um, Grupo Nación is the biggest independent publisher, and they have uh, seven titles. La Nación is the New York Times of Costa Rica, Al Día is the Sports Daily, La Teja is the Sun, EF is the Financial Times, and all these are uh, consumer magazines, radios, um, small television outfits, cooking things, etc. But those three, four titles at the top are the biggest titles, yes? So these are all the different operations that they had. And the, 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 the objective was to integrate all this, uh, their daily newspaper, their, um, their tabloid, their business, their sports, four radio stations, 12 magazines, and a custom publishing or native advertising operation. And this is what we started with. Yeah? This was the, the, the drawing, the master plan of the process of innovation, which uh, gradually was transformed into this idea. And this is what we started with. 
This is the actual warehouse where they, ke they kept the paper, the newspaper, the paper, the rolls, thousands of, 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 of kilometers of, of paper because they, they print so much every day. All that was taken out 12 kilometers outside of the city and we took this and did this massive architectural project and we ended up with this. So all these people are working together. This is a mobile first approach. They have a massive penetration of mobile consumption in the country. And, um, and within this space, this is uh, 4,300 square meters. Uh, it was an investment of five million. But the entire project really was about combining seven newsrooms uh, with expert preparation with a super desk. So all, these are all the editors of all the different brands. Yes? And all these fingers that you see out there are thematic tables. Yeah? So some people write uh, politics, but they write politics for whoever they have to write politics for, for whichever title they have to write for. They might have to write for the equivalent of the Times of, of La Nación, for the tabloid, for a woman's magazine that's doing a story politically related and so on. They're not beholden to titles anymore. And neither are they beholden to platforms. So this is not the print team, that's not the digital team, that's not the mobile team. These people have to work for all different platforms at the same time, guided by the central desk. In Costa Rica, in, in, you know, today, they, they, they've made this investment. It's all controlled by a head of content, which in legacy media would still be the editor-in-chief of the paper, who now also oversees the website, the mobile. Now is a new guy who's a head of content who oversees all the different platforms, and he oversees radio, television, mag editor, the magazine's editor, the digital editor, and the graphics uh, editor. Um, there are plenty of results. I don't want to go too much into it. But it's interesting what the, what, what the head of the organization told us, Manuel Jimenez, the president. Today, with the same amount of people, we produce more content, work more in real time, and distribute our material via more channels than before. Uh, more channels. Our newsroom's productivity has increased substantially, while at the same time, we are better prepared to adapt our responsibilities to the digital first focus that will satisfy the demands of our audience. Yes. So to conclude, to innovate, you really must change everything. <laughs> the organizational structure, it's no longer this vertical, either legacy media or a standalone parallel organization that somehow talk to each other regularly. You have to change the workflows. The, the interesting <coughs> thing about this place, the, the most interesting challenge is that we, we have to change the biorhythm of the organization. And organizations have biorhythms that are often emulate the human biorhythm. Uh, television, 24-hour news television doesn't. They have a night nice shift and pretty much hands over to the morning shift. It doesn't happen with news organizations that just focus on producing one product. So changing the biorhythm of a Central American country and organization was quite a challenge because it meant having very, very good journalists early in the morning coming in at 3 so at 6 a.m. they could produce phenomenal content for mobile that was very, very engaging to audiences because that's where your audience was. That was your prime time. People turning on the mobile and they wanted La Nación stories content. While before, you had to wait until 10 when people came in, checked in, and then updated the website on the mobile. You have to change the architecture. One thing I picked up from Silicon Valley is architecture is massively important. It's no accident that people pay that much attention to, to a campus style, to, to architecture, having bicycles and all this. It, it does create a a feeling of collaboration as opposed to people sitting in silos.
uh, the job descriptions have to change, the staff mix have to change, uh, and the culture have to change. Thank you. Thank you, Brian.